Amen. All right, you guys have a seat. If you need a Bible, there's some on the back table. If there's not one in the seat back in front of you, what book are we going to be in? Really? What book? I'll say it's on the screen. We're trying to make it as easy as easy as possible. All right. So that game that we played a few minutes ago was talking about squads. Who in here has a squad? Okay. Let, let me phrase it differently. Who in here has a group of friends that you're close to? Okay. So that's what we're talking about. We talk about this idea of having a squad. Let me let me tell you. I know you guys don't like to use these things, but let me tell you how the dictionary defines a squad. Okay. It says a squad is. A small group engaged in a common effort or occupation. That can be military, that can be law enforcement, that can be part of a sports team, that can even be your group of friends. It's the people that you have closest to you in your life. It's the people that you let influence you in your life. When we talk about this word, this idea of having a squad, it's the people that you spend a lot of time with. You may have a whole bunch of friends, but your squad is that group of people, that two, three people that you actually get real with, that they know you, that you share things with. And as we're talking about being a disciple of Jesus, I would, I would say that your squad, the people that are closest to you, if you say you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you put your faith and trust in Him, those need to be people in your life that are actually pushing you towards God. Because if they're not pushing you towards God, you know what they're doing? They're pulling you away. Because when we study Scripture and we talk about the people in our lives, every single friend you have, they are doing one of two things. They are either pushing you towards God or they are pulling you away from God. There is no, hey, I've got this friend and they're not doing either one of them for me. Yeah, they are. They're doing one of the two. They're either drawing closer to God and they're coming with you or they're drawing you away from God and they're coming with you in that direction. And that's why it matters the people that we spend our time with, the people that we let be in our lives and influence us. And that's exactly what Paul's talking about as we jump back into the last part of Philippians chapter 2 tonight. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. And as we walk through this, you're going to see two different guys that he talks about. Guys that were part of his squad, guys that were part of his close group. And we're going to see some important things about them that we need to look for in other people that are in our lives. So before we get too far into that, I'm going to ask you the questions because it matters that we understand who's talking, what they're talking about, why they're talking about it when we study a book of the Bible. So who wrote the book of Philippians? Paul, formerly Saul. And do you remember who we said helped him with it? Timothy, absolutely. Okay, where do we believe he was when he wrote it? Jail. Jail. Yes, you guys are getting that one. Paul, Paul spent a whole lot of time in prison because Paul's mission, his goal of his life was to preach the gospel to people. And because he did that, it kept getting him put in jail. So nine times out of ten, if somebody says, where was Paul when he wrote this? If you say jail or prison, pretty good chance that's exactly what was happening. When do we believe he wrote it? 61 to 62 AD, a long, long time ago. This is also around the time that he wrote what other two books? Do you remember? Colossians and Ephesians, okay? So he's got a couple books that he's writing around this same time when he's doing this imprisonment. And who did he write it to? (laughs) Say it again. The church at? Which was made up of who? Gentiles. There would have been a couple Jewish people, but mostly Gentiles. And for those of you who don't know what that means, 
Jewish people, that means you were Jewish by nationality, okay? Gentiles were anybody else that wasn't Jewish. So these are the people that grew up, and as they grew up, they didn't know the Old Testament Scriptures. They didn't know about God or who God was. So they were learning about God and Jesus for the first time and putting their faith and trust in Him. And why did he write this book to the church at Philippi? Say that again. To encourage and to warn. Remember, he's, he's encouraging them because this is a church that was started during persecution. These are people that were scared because of their faith, and yet God is using it to share the gospel and make other believers. And he's also warning them. He's saying, hey, you need to make sure, you need to make sure that you keep Christ at the center of everything that you do. Remember that word he uses 16 times in this, in this book? Joy. He talks about the joy that you should have as a believer we talked about that last week. Joy is not the same thing as happiness. You can be happy one minute and unhappy the next. But joy, joy is that peace. It's that inner joy that God gives you that no matter what's going on in your life, you know that God is in control. That God is still taking care of you. And that matters. And Paul is warning them. He's saying, hey, keep your focus on Christ. Keep him at the center of every single thing that is a part of your life. Because if you do that, then you will have that joy and you will be the man and the woman that God has created you to be. And when we talk about keeping Christ at the center of your life, that means everything in your life. And that includes your friends. That includes your squad. And as we walk through this tonight, I want you to just keep in the back of your mind, who are those people in your life? For some of you, it may be the people sitting around you right here tonight. For some of you, it may be people who aren't even here. But who are the people in your life that are the closest to you? The ones that you actually get real with. The ones that you actually share the good and the bad of your life. Because it matters who those people are. Because remember, they're either encouraging you in your walk with Christ, or they're drawing you away from Him. So keep that question in the back of your mind as we jump into this. Tonight, like I said, we're going to do Philippians 2, verses 19 through 20. And I've got somebody who is coming up to read that for us. So Miss Rachel Parker, come on up here. What's that? You didn't agree to clapping? That's okay. You got this. Go ahead. Actually, wait. Let's stand in honor of reading of God's word. I don't want you to think they were standing for you, so that's why I waited. <laughs> I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news for you. I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel, I therefore, I hope therefore to send him just as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send you to Epaphroditus, Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. 
So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. All right. Thank you, ma'am. Let me, let me pray. God, again, we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity to be here, Lord. Thank you uh, that we can spend time in your word. God, I pray that you'll help us to see what it has for us tonight so that we can walk out of here different because we've been in your presence. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Y'all go ahead and have a seat if you have not already. So Paul, Paul takes time in this passage here, starting in verse 19 all the way through verse 30, and Paul's talking about his squad. Now, we, we know that there are other people in Paul's life. If you read through the other letters he's written, he mentions a couple different names throughout that time. But when we're looking at this, we see that these are two people that were very close to him. These two guys, do you remember their names? What were they? Timothy and Epaphroditus. That's, that's a really hard one to say. And they, they had some crazy names back then. But these are two men that Paul surrounded himself with. And, and through them we learn that there's some important things that we need to look for when it comes to the people that are closest to us. When it comes to the people, whether we use that word or not, that are our squad. So let's look, first look at Timothy, okay? Read, read that again with me. It says, Philippians 2, verse 19, it says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. So we, we see here that Paul has a very strong desire. He wants to send Timothy to see the believers at this church in Philippi. But, but since he's in prison and, and, and he can't go, he, he, well, I'm sorry, he had the strong desire to go himself, but since he's in prison and he can't go, he says, I'm going to try and send Timothy to you. Now, we don't know a whole lot about Timothy from Scripture. If you go back and read through the Old Testament, he pops up a couple times. In fact, the first time we see him is in the book of Acts. It's Acts chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. And what we learn about there is we learn about Timothy's family. We learn that he had a father who was a Greek and he had a mother that was Jewish which means he had some background in who God was. He had some kind of upbringing in his home. But we also find out as you keep going, there's, a, a, there's actually two books in the New Testament that have Timothy's name. It's First and Second Timothy. And in Second Timothy, Paul is writing to him, and in chapter 1, verse 5, we find out that it was Timothy's mother and grandmother that actually discipled him, that taught him about God, that raised him to know who God was and to put his trust in him. So that's really all that we know about Timothy up until that point. And what we see here as Paul is going through in verse 20 is we see that the, the people that you choose to be in your squad, you need to choose people that are genuinely concerned about you. Stop and think about your friend group for a second. Which of your friends do you know they really are concerned about your life? They're concerned about your welfare. As I said before, we've all probably got a whole bunch of friends, and you can probably name 5, 10, 15 friends right now, but of all of those friends, how many of them really would be there in an instant if you needed them? How many would be willing to do whatever it took because you needed something or you needed help? How many of them genuinely care about your welfare? 
Paul says here, he doesn't know anybody like Timothy because Timothy has a genuine concern for the welfare of the people in the church at Philippi. He cares about them. Not because of anything they can do for him. See, that's, that's the point that we need to get to. He doesn't care about them because they're going to help him or because they're going to give him money or they're going to give him a place to stay or they're going to make his status look better to everybody else. He doesn't care about them because of what they can do for him. He cares about them because they're his brothers and sisters in Christ. And the problem is, and maybe you've experienced this in your life, is that even in church, around all the other people that say they have the same faith that you do, they say they trust the same God that you do, they put their faith and trust in the same Jesus that you have, sometimes it's rare even in the church to find people like that in your life. People who genuinely care about your life. People who care about the things that are going on with you. Like I said before, the people who are not just there when things are going great, but the people who are by your side when things are falling apart. That's the kind of guy Timothy is here. And Paul's describing him. And he uses a reference going back to something he's already talked about in chapter 1. Remember back in chapter 1, verses 15 and 17, Paul wrote that there were some people who were preaching the gospel of Jesus. They were telling other people about who Jesus was, but they were doing it because they were getting something out of it. And that's exactly that reference he makes there in verse 21. Let me read that for us again. He says, For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. He says, these are not the people that you need to be around. Because so many people are consumed about themselves. They're consumed with what all of their friends are going to do for them. And maybe some of you in here have had friends like that. When things were going great, and you were helping them, and you were making them feel good about themselves, you had a great friend. But as soon as things changed, and you didn't have that ability, or you needed something all of a sudden that friend's not there anymore. So that's, that's not what real friends do. That's not what the people in your squad ought to look like. Because that's exactly what Paul is helping us see here with Timothy. He's talking about this idea that, that selfishness, that's something that plagues every single one of us. Let's be honest. Anybody in here besides me been selfish today? Okay, I think everybody. Because it plagues us. We're all selfish because we're sinners. But even in our selfishness, if we focus on Christ and we put our faith and our trust in him, scripture tells us that we can have the same mind as our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we can start looking out for their own interests above our own. It's not you thinking less of yourself. It's you just thinking more of other people. That's what Paul is talking about. And that's what he's saying he's found in Timothy. You need people like that in your life. You need people in your squad, those that are closest to you, that genuinely care about who you are and who God has called you to be. And you'll know those people because they've proven themselves. That's the way Paul references Timothy here. He says Timothy has proven his worth. And the reason he can say that to this church is because if you go back to Acts chapter 16, when you first learn about who Timothy is and you learn about his parents, if you keep reading that chapter, you find out real quick that Paul said, hey, Timothy, you look like a pretty sharp guy. I'm going on a trip and I'm going to go tell people about the gospel of Jesus and I want you to go with me. And I'm going to teach you how to do that. 
And as you read through that chapter and you keep going and see all of the different places they went, one of the places that they end up, Paul and Timothy together sharing the gospel, is guess what city? Nope. Philippi. The, the city where this church is, the book of Philippians was written to. What that means is Timothy was there when the gospel was shared in Philippi, which means pretty good chance some of the people in that church are the people that heard the gospel the first time they ever showed up there. So some of those people probably know Timothy. They've seen that he's willing to serve. They've seen that he's willing to leave his family, leave his home, go travel and tell perfect strangers about who Jesus is. He has already, to this church, proven his worth. And Timothy has not only proven his worth to the church at Philippi, he's proven his worth to Paul. Because Paul refers to him as a son. Now this is not a literal son, because we've already learned in Acts chapter 16 that Paul had a, or Timothy had a father who was Greek. So that's, that's not this Paul. But he's talking about this idea that in this culture, the way that it worked back then is a son growing up, the job that you had typically was something that you learned from your father. So that meant you basically became your father's apprentice. So you went to work with him, you learned the skill, you learned the trade, and as you got better at it, then you started doing that on your own. And that's the kind of relationship that Paul is talking about here. He's saying, Timothy has come with me like a son. Timothy has learned the things that I've tried to teach him. And look at the way he talks about Timothy. He says he's not only a son, but he uses another word here. It says that, da, 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 da. It says he's proven his worth how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. It's very important the way he says that. He says as a son, that means he's grown up, he's learned, I've taught him the things, but he doesn't say he has served me. It doesn't say he's just done everything I've told him to do. It says he served with me. So Timothy has grown up learning what Paul has taught him to do. And now Paul sees him not as an apprentice anymore, not as somebody who's underneath him, but somebody that serves side by side with him and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Timothy has proven himself. Timothy has become a co-laborer with Paul. He has become somebody that he can rely on on a daily basis. The people in your squad, your friends, hey, they need to be people you can count on. Think about your friend group for a second. And don't say anything, don't tell any names. But do you have friends that, hey, they're your friends, but when it comes down to it, you know you probably can't count on them. Either they're just not going to show up when you need them to show up, or they're not going to keep their word like they tell you they are. That's not the kind of people as a disciple of Jesus that you need to have in your squad, that you need to have closest to you. You've got to have people that have proven themselves. You've got to have people that have come alongside of you even when things get messy. People that are willing to roll up their sleeves, get their hands dirty, and serve right there next to you so that you can advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. People that are willing to roll their sleeves up and get their hands dirty when you've got junk happening in your life and they are there for you. Why? Because they care about your well-being. That's the kind of guy that Timothy was to Paul. But Paul gives us another example in Epaphroditus. 
Listen to what, how he describes him starting in verse 25. He says, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am, more, I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So Paul has said he hopes to send them Timothy and he's waiting to find out if he's going to lose his life or if he's going to live before he sends Timothy to him. But he says here, he's definitely sending Epaphroditus to him. Now, as little as we know about Timothy, we know even less about this guy by the name of Epaphroditus other than he's got a really complicated name to say. What we do know about him is that he was from Philippi because he says there in that passage, he said, to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. What that means is Epaphroditus was from Philippi. They sent Epaphroditus to Philippi so that he could help and minister to Paul. So he came from this church. And we know from later in Scripture, when he came, he actually brought a gift. And Paul is now saying, hey, I'm sending him back to you. And he's telling them the reasons why. The first one is this. Um, actually, before he gets to that, I want you to look at how he refers to Epaphroditus. He calls him three things. He says, he's my brother. He says, he's my fellow worker. And he's my fellow soldier. Now, think about those three terms real quick. You can, you can work with somebody and not really know them, right? I mean, that's, that's pretty easy to do. Those of you who have jobs or, or you've worked at the church before helping out with things, you can work with people all day long and not really know them. But that's not the kind of work that he's talking about here. He's talking about, like Timothy, the people that have rolled up their sleeves and said, we're going to get in this together. But he also calls him his brother. You typically live with your brother, don't you? You typically know a lot about your brother. Sometimes good, sometimes things you wish you didn't know. And then he says he's a fellow soldier. That one's important. Because I, I've, I've never been in the military. But I've, I've talked to guys that have. And one of the things that I've heard and, and, and what there seems to be is just a bond between those guys who have served together. Those soldiers who have been side by side when things have gone wrong and the only person they have to rely on is each other. There's, there's a trust there. There's a dependency there. And that is how Paul describes Epaphroditus. He says, this, this is not a casual acquaintance of Saul. This is of Paul. This is not just somebody that he sees at church. This isn't somebody that he sees on Sunday morning and Wednesday night. Hey, how you doing? And they go on about their business. This is somebody that he's actually done ministry with side by side, he's been around him enough, he's worked with him enough that he uses these three terms that communicate trust and loyalty. And it speaks of a bond that's not easily broken. Do you have friends like that? Are the people that you would say, hey, they're in my squad, they're my closest friends. Can you rely on them the way Paul talks about him? The people that you spend the most time with, that you trust to have your back in battle like a soldier. 
that you trust to support you and to work with you as you toil for the gospel of Jesus Christ. People that you consider family. That is how Paul viewed Epaphroditus. And he had good reason because he shows us exactly what Paul talked about in Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 11, what it means to have the mind of Christ to consider others more, to consider the interest of others above your own. Because apparently, according to this passage, at some point Epaphroditus had gotten sick. And not just like, <clears throat> I got a cough, I don't feel well. It says he was sick to the point of death. And while he was sick, the church that he came from, the people that cared for him, the people that knew him, they found out about it and they were worried. So Paul says, that's why I'm sending him back. I'm not sending him back because I'm ready to get rid of him. I'm not sending him back because he's done anything wrong. I'm sending him back because Epaphroditus is worried about how much you're worried about him. That kind of gets mixed up in my head if I think about it too long. He wasn't so much concerned about his own life and his own health, even though he was getting ready to die when he was sick. He was worried about how the church thought about him. He was worried about how concerned they were over him. But it says God spared his life. And verse 27 tells us that Epaphroditus was a good thing because it saved Paul from experiencing the sorrow of losing a close friend and a fellow worker in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you need to understand something about that. When he says it saved me from having that sorrow, that's a sorrow that is not devoid of hope. Here's what that means. When you've put your faith and your trust in Christ and you have a loved one die and you know they've put their faith and trust in Christ, we mourn because they're gone. When, when they die, it's, it's sad because we miss them. We miss that relationship. And yet, even in that sorrow, even in that mourning, there's hope. Because we know that that person who had a relationship with Jesus Christ, Scripture tells us that when they die, they're with God. And we know that if we have that same relationship with Christ, there's going to come a day that we're going to die too. And people are going to have sorrow. But Lord willing, that sorrow will be filled with hope. Because we know that's where we're going to be, is we're going to be with God. That's the sorrow that Paul is talking about here. And that's important for us to make sure we understand that. And he says, hey, when I send him back, I want you to receive him and I want you to treat him right. I want you to have joy. I want you to honor men like him because of what he's done. I want you to rejoice at the lengths he was willing to go to show the gospel of Jesus Christ to people. As Paul's writing this passage, guys, this whole last, of chapter two, last part of chapter 2, he's writing about Timothy. He's writing about Epaphroditus as guys that he has great love for. And yes, this is a dude talking about other dudes because it's possible in Christ to have that kind of love. And that's exactly what Paul is talking about. These aren't just men that he sat next to in church. These aren't just men, like I said before, that he walked up to and on Sunday morning, hey, how you doing? I'm good. Nice to see you. And you go about your way. These are guys that he spent time with. These are relationships that went deeper. These are men that served together, men that taught together. They made each other's lives better even when their lives were rough. Remember, Paul was in prison and that is how Epaphroditus got there to come see him in prison. That's the kind of relationship he's talking about when he talks about his squad. He talks about the people that were in his life. So my question for you tonight is this. 
what does your squad look like? Think about the way Paul has talked about these two men. Every one of us has friends in this room, but I'm talking about the people that are closest to you. Are you surrounding yourself with people who are genuinely concerned about your welfare? This is not the same as people who are worried about whether or not you're happy. I'm talking about people who are more worried about your holiness than your happiness. People who are more worried about you becoming the man or the woman God has created you to be than whether or not you're happy for a while. You've heard me say this before. If you're going to be that kind of friend to somebody, you've got to care more about the person than you care about the relationship. And I know that sounds weird, but that means you care more about who God made them to be and you are willing to push them towards God, even if that means you have to speak things to them in love that they don't want to hear sometimes because you know they're going off the rails and they're not pursuing Christ. You've got to care more about the person than you care about the relationship to be the kind of friend that Paul is talking about here. If you're thinking through your squad tonight, if you're thinking through the people that are closest to you in your life and you can come up with at least one name that looks like Timothy or Epaphroditus in your life, then I want to encourage you tonight, thank God for that one person. If there's more, awesome. Celebrate that. Thank God for that. You might even want to tell them that. But if you're thinking here tonight, I want you to ask yourself another question. Are you the name that's on somebody else's mind? Because it's easy for us to think through our friend group and think, well, yeah, maybe this person, but not this person, not this person, not this person. But what is if somebody in this room is thinking through their group of friends, through their squad, the people that are closest to them, the people that are either pushing them towards Christ or pulling them away? Are you on somebody's mind tonight? Are you that kind of friend? Are you the kind of person that is willing to love somebody to the point that you're willing to give up even your own life because you want to serve them and serve with them? Are you willing to stand with somebody when nobody else will stand with them because they are standing for what you know honors God even when nobody else will do that? Are you willing to roll up your sleeves and get into the messiness of somebody else's life so that you can love them and encourage them. And, and if you're here tonight and, and you say, you know what, I, that's not me. Why not? If you've put your faith and trust in Christ, if you call yourself a disciple of Jesus, why not? It's never too late. You can start tonight. When we stand up, when we start to sing, I want to ask you guys to do something bold. I want to ask you, if there is somebody in this room tonight, and they're in your group of friends, they're in your squad, and when you think about them, they line up with the way that Paul is talking about Timothy and Epaphroditus, I want to challenge you, get out of your seat if you're not already sitting next to them, and I want you to go and tell them that they are that in your life. Maybe you even say, hey, can you come down here so we can pray together that God will help us continue that kind of friendship as fellow soldiers and workers and brothers and sisters in Christ? 
And if you're here tonight and you don't have anybody in your life like that, maybe you spend a moment asking God to put somebody there in your life like that. Maybe you write that down on that prayer card and you drop it up here in this basket before you leave and just say, I need a Timothy or I need an Epaphroditus in my life. Because we as adults want to pray for you in that too. One of these adults may be that person for you. God gives us people in our lives to stand firm in the gospel together. Sometimes those people get on our last nerves. But for those of you that have brothers and sisters, you've probably experienced this. There's going to be times where you will go after your brother or sister like nobody else. But as soon as somebody else starts in on him, you turn around and y'all circle the wagons and everybody's going to be against you. That's what it's supposed to be here. That's who God's called us to be, brothers and sisters in Christ. To stand together, to stand firm, to do what God's called us to do. To be men and women who love each other and advance the gospel. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for the opportunity to come together, to spend time in your word. God, I thank you. I thank you for people in my own life, God that go beyond the, hey, how you doing? And ask that backup question, no, how are you really doing? And God, I pray for every single person in this room. God, I would pray that every one of us in here has a Timothy, has an Epaphroditus in our life. God, somebody that's in our squad, somebody that's in our friend group, God, that genuinely cares about us. But God, I would also pray, help every one of us to be that for somebody else. Help every one of us to show that same love and loyalty and dedication to you first and then to our brothers and sisters in Christ. God, help us to be the men and the women you've called us to be as we join together to stand firm in the gospel. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.